whenever we want representation, we have to like dig for it and grab it with our bare hands and like throw it in our own faces. Maybe if we make enough noise, people will pay attention. But until then, it's really just circulating in our own circles. And frankly put, I wish people would care. This is Community Dialogues, a program for frank discussions about race, racism, and racial justice. I'm Helena Rampersad. Our guest this week is Olivia No, a college student from Chinatown. She shares her experience with heightened racism against Asian Americans. Hi, Olivia. How are you feeling? As good as I could be with the constant news. Is there one thing in the news particularly that you're talking about or referencing? Uh, honestly, I wish it was one thing. It's like attack on attack. So what are the types of conversations that you're having with your parents or your friends about all of these things happening? Well, definitely with my personal friends, especially with my fellow women, we talk about how it just doesn't feel safe, point blank. And nowadays it's like, okay, maybe we should head home before it gets dark. It's so scary. There was that one video circulating just an Asian man where it's just getting like pummeled in the train and it's a full train. People are clearly recording. No one is stepping in. You just never know who's next. Can you share a moment with me where you experienced racism? I feel like I'm privileged to first of all live in Chinatown. Being a Chinese person living in Chinatown, I'm within my own community. Over my life, it's just a lot of microaggressions, I think, a lot of, you know, the nihaos and the Ching Chong, like what, like whatever it is you want to pick. What about your friends? Have they told you any stories? Oh, you know what? Um, my really good friend, she works at a um, grocery and she's 100% Chinese and looks it. She was saying how there's one customer that got kind of like rowdy. The problem here is that people are not going to voluntarily admit that they're racist. She didn't, but if my friend were go to go to her manager and be like, hey, this happened today, and it was clearly, in my eyes, a racial aggression, what are they going to do? They're going to be like, how do you know that? And it's just, it's stuff like that where it becomes so anecdotal that, like, you can't, you can't keep track of it, I feel like. And in the bigger picture there, I think, is the problem with hate crimes and just underreporting hate crimes. When something like all the random assaults happen, the attacker is not going to yell out, I'm doing this because they're Asian, and then, you know, beat them up. It's so frustrating to me, just all these microaggressions, I think. So especially when it comes to Asian people and this stereotype that they're quiet and won't do anything, especially if you bully them or if you harass them, and then that's pretty much like snowballed into full-on assaults. People are literally dying. What is something that you've seen or something you've experienced that you wish people in the media were talking about more? For me personally, I think it comes back to it being like, you know, we can't police microaggressions. I can't imagine a equitable policy that's like, okay, you can't say this mean thing to this person. The problem there is that it feeds this culture. You can't police culture. I can say I'm Chinese and fully proud of that, but I'm also one-fourth Italian. Over my life, I've gotten people that are often shocked when I, when I say I'm Chinese, and they're like, oh, you don't look it. 
I've gotten really rude comments about not being Chinese enough, not looking Asian enough. The complete lack of anything is just feeding this culture where like Asianness doesn't matter. People like us don't matter. Because I personally feel like the media is only focused on Asians recently. And like, sure, like you see Asians on the news, but I feel like it's always something passing or just like a, a detail like swept under the carpet. I am Asian. I live in Chinatown. I have all these Asian friends. Uh, we all follow each other. So it's like this bubble of information. And, you know, when I see these posts on Instagram or whatever social media you want, I feel like it's often coming from a, a source that is already Asian or specifically for Asians. That's the problem in of itself. It's we're informing ourselves things we already know. Whenever we want representation, we have to like dig for it and grab it with our bare hands and like throw it in our own faces. Maybe if we make enough noise, people will pay attention. But until then, it's really just circulating in our own circles. And frankly put, I wish people would care. <laughs> I wish the mainstream media would care. Have you come across stories that you had to be the person informing everyone else an issue and you're, you were the one that had to be the informant? I have this really great friend, like I truly love and respect this person. He's biracial, so he's black and white. Recently, in light of the Asian crimes, he posted a video on Instagram it was a Black woman. Basically, she had the screen cap of a news article from an Asian American news site that was like, what you can do as a Black ally in the anti-Asian hate movement. And her thing was like, a really quick snippet of her being like, what we can do, what Black people can do, like, you need to focus on who is doing the damage. And then my friend reposted this with the caption, where are Asians for us? Why would we help you. It hurt to see them basically endorse this kind of mindset and be like, hey, my fellow Black people, don't forget, where were the Asians when we needed them? And when I messaged him, I was saying, like, this is really disappointing to see because I can acknowledge that there's so much tension between these two groups. It never was and never will be about Black versus Asian, or it's all of us versus a racist system. Everything I'm saying, it goes both ways. I know plenty of Asian people. They don't think they're racist, but there are these like anti-Black tendencies. And then, you know, something like my friend's post is like anti-Asian tendency. You have to approach it with patience and education. So how would you answer that question that your, your friend posed through this post? I just want to know how you feel having to constantly bear the labor of correcting people and why things shouldn't be taken out of context. The one word I would just use is frustrating. Just, you know, there are different ways to react to something like racism, or if it's more personal, I can say anti-Asian racism. You're constantly having to correct people on different sides and they both think you're the enemy, and it's just so strange. It's, it's strange because where do you draw the line between a cultural difference and racism? I feel like this is such an important conversation. I'm not going to act like I'm every single 
race in Asia. So I can speak on Chinese people and I do have family members and I know of my dad's friends, you know, older generation that are blatantly racist. And listen, I love being Chinese. There are plenty of things I love about it. And there's so many things to be proud about, but a racist culture is not one of them. That is just not something we need to hold on to. And then we go on the flip side where I have to educate other, say, maybe races or just different people about Asians or maybe other Asians about Chinese people. And that's a different but equally, equally difficult battle. What is the stereotype or the one thing you personally have to constantly disprove? Ooh. <laughs> the stereotype that's always looming over my head is just the tiger parents and like the obsession with success. My father, he came to the States when he was 13, you know, he's pretty assimilated into the culture. And when people meet him, they're like, oh, doesn't really have an accent. Or like, oh, he's pretty cool. Things like that, that are very surface level. I personally don't mind those as much as when it comes to the conversation of like, what does he want you to do? Or like, or what are you going to do in the future? Like, is, do your parents support that? Or if someone's coming to me and being like, you don't really have ambitious goals, I guess. So like, I'm a senior at NYU in public policy, studying something that a lot of people don't really understand. I find myself having to defend my education a lot and being like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm actually not a STEM major. And people were like, how does your dad feel about that? How does your mom feel about that? <laughs> what? Like, I can say, like, very thankfully that I have super supportive parents that are like, yeah, do whatever you want as long as you're doing it. Like, I don't care. For example, my sister is a pastry chef. I guess I was smart relative to her. And like, now I'm at NYU. And that was always a talking point, I feel like, for people, especially to my parents or more specifically, my dad, where they'd be like, your other daughter, she's at this school. And then your other daughter is at NYU. Oh, I know. I know NYU. Never heard of the other one, though. How does your dad react to people talking about your sister that way? He is so supportive to the extent where it's, it's met with anger, where he's like, what are you talking about? Like, what's the problem? Because he, he himself is a chef. I can say now my, my sister out of college started working as a sous chef at Four Seasons. So it's like, finally, people were like impressed. Finally, you hear that name. It's like, oh, Four Seasons. I know that one. But you can imagine the four years that she was in school at a school that was not prestigious at all. People would be like, what is she doing though? Like, what is that lined up for? It's like, why, do, why does my dad or even my sister have to defend these answers? Like, why do I have to explain something until you're impressed? So for my dad, it's just, I remember he would explain and being like, oh, she's, she's studying culinary art and she, she's so talented and so creative. And like, he has the pictures ready. He has the whole portfolio ready to go and be like, if you want to see it, here it is. Part of it is like being a very proud parent. Does he have to defend his words? Does he have to have this ready to go? So you mentioned your dad has his restaurant. How has the pandemic affected business for him? It's a small shop in Chinatown. It's just a noodle shop. But he's been doing this gig for almost 40 years. It's tough because 
this restaurant opened in January 2020. But as we all know, the coronavirus comes to play just about two months later. What I feel like people don't realize about the timeline with COVID in the U.S. is that people were already talking about COVID in China and Asia in December. So the anti-Asian rhetoric was going around since December and bleeding into January. And of course, it's a completely like exacerbated in March and forward. In Chinatown, it felt almost overnight where the streets were empty and businesses were suddenly closing earlier. Of course, like every business in Chinatown, it was so slow. It was based almost coming to a halt. And then, of course, worse gets worse and everything's on lockdown. You know, restaurants were one of the first things to go. They're like, shut this down. Thankfully, people were, you know, had the lockdown itch. They wanted to get out and about. So people were coming in and out. But the great majority of businesses, it was completely unsustainable. It was maybe a quarter of the sales that they were used to doing or that they needed to do just in general. Right next door, there's Tribeca and Soho. These businesses are equipped and ready to go with all this money to buy, let's say, space heaters and to assemble outdoor seating almost instantly. Like it feels like overnight there were streets lined up with outdoor dining. And then there was Chinatown that was like, if a restaurant wanted to build outdoor seating, they had to crowdsource it. When business loans came out for New York City businesses, certain zip codes were left out because they're like, oh, there's not really minorities there. Chinatown zip code is 10013 which is shared with parts of Tribeca and Soho. So they were completely left out. And it's so frustrating to think, how could the policy oversee something so technical? So, so many businesses were hurting from that. So when other businesses get these loans and they're able to set up shop and build these, you know, get the resources they need to reopen safely, be attractive to customers, Chinatown is completely left in the dust yet again. I applaud Chinatown for its resilience. It's very community-based. Everyone knows each other. I've been in Chinatown my entire life, and I can very proudly say I walk into some restaurants, some cafes, some bakeries, and they, they know me. This is a community. It kind of like reinforces this thought. We're here for each other, but like, is that sustainable? What should people individually do more of to help combat this? First and foremost, you can just get yourself out here. Like, just support your local Asian businesses. That's where it starts, right? You, some people are like, oh, I just, I don't know Asian people in my life. That's just, and that's fair. You know, that's not your fault. So put yourself out there. For example, maybe visit Chinatown when it's not Chinese New Year. You know, it's like a lot of people are like, oh, I love Chinatown. Why don't you come down on a weeknight and have dinner? And be like, hey, we can do a little walking tour. There's so much out here. Aside from something really tangible like that, there's also just having these conversations. This rhetoric is all over the place, especially when we talk about race issues. If you want to make change, make real change, just start with yourself. Start with your circle. That's the solution I feel like when it comes to a cultural issue. Educate yourself. Listen to Asian voices. these kind of issues are not personal. So when you, when you think of yourself and be like, I have an Asian friend, 
I think, I think I'm in the clear. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Get this mindset out of your head. That's where we can all start. You start with yourself. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thanks again to Olivia No for speaking with us. This has been Community Dialogues. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. I'm Helena Ramprasad. Thanks for listening.